Hello everyone and welcome to Millennial Rewind, where we take a not-so-sentimental look at the movies and TV shows that were around when millennials were growing up. I'm your host, Nick, coming to you from the hiding your true identity behind a mask capital of the world, Los Angeles, California. And joining me here in the City of Angels is my co-host, Jules. Jules, how are you doing today? I've been telling all the Bible discussion groups that their goods are tainted. It's caused some confusion. <laughs> 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 ah, it's my favorite one you've ever done. Oh, <laughs> uh, and joining us from the puke in a trash can of Southern California, the Inland Empire, is my other co-host, John. John, what's happening? I'm enhancing my secret agent skill set with close-up magic. <laughs> <laughs> And before we tell you what this nonsense is all about, if you like what you hear today, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe button. Also, be sure to share the show with anyone you think might like to listen as well. So we watched the original Mission Impossible movie from 1996. And John, how would you tell someone you watched Mission Impossible without using the title? They said it couldn't be done. The security was too tight. The danger too high. The odds too low. But then, Tom Cruise started running. <laughs> <laughs> it is his superpower. And Jules of the Producers had asked you to come up with a different title for this movie. What would it be? How It Feels to Chew Five Gum, the movie. <laughs> oh my god! That was almost my how you doing. I, know. <laughs> I learned how it was to chew five gum and it blew my mind. Oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, See, Five Gum, you really need to come out with a Mission Impossible flavor. That This is a missed opportunity. It's like half mint, half cinnamon. You chew them together, it all comes. Oh, no, 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 no. It's got to be mint and berries. I'm not sure where the satisfying crunch will come in, but yeah. And berry crunch. <laughs> Obligatory South Park reference. Getting it out early. <laughs> oh, my God. This movie was fucking huge when it came out it's the first you know the first adaptation of the the 60s tv show really put tom cruise on i mean tom cruise was already on the map but like this was his first outing as a producer as well really yeah i think this was his first outing as a producer huh. I mean, like he he is a producer on the franchise well it's it's basically his yeah like he has this franchise so that he can get to choose who he wants to work with I mean, that's why the series doesn't have like a director throughout it. He chooses filmmakers he wants to work with to put together a Mission Impossible movie. I mean, that's the dream, right? Imagine having that kind of power. And he was it is like he was like our age now. And he's just pulling this shit crazy. Yeah. Do you guys have any memories of, of watching this movie? Well, I do. Yeah. I mean, this was the great thriller of my childhood. First exposure to Tom Cruise, John Voight, Ving Rhames, Jean Reno. And I still haven't recovered. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it was one of my favorite action thrillers, even though I found it very confusing the first time I watched it. This was back when action thrillers had subtlety and plot, and Michael Bay hadn't established the no dumbasses left behind rule, but this was definitely a, a huge part of of growing up for me and i i always kind of loved it yeah i feel like i saw this i don't know if i saw this in theaters i feel like this was a vhs first watch for me it was a lot of fun i remember i remember you know obviously the iconic uh, vault scene and i definitely remember blowing up the helicopter at the end with 
the the five gum as we've established. <laughs> <laughs> we've eliminated half of my notes already. <laughs> <laughs> But what I remember most of all from this movie is that they killed Emilio Estevez. And I was pissed because I fucking loved me some Mighty Ducks growing up. Right? Mighty Ducks Breakfast Club? Holy shit. Well, I didn't know Breakfast Club existed. I was like D1, D2, maybe D3 as well. D3 wasn't as good, but I like the first two better. The second one was my favorite. But they killed Gordon Bombay in the first 15 minutes of the movie. And I was like, well, this sucks. I was very excited to watch this. And the one guy I recognized in the whole movie, because I I didn't know the fuck Tom Cruise was. (laughs) God, you guys are fucking children. You are not, but not, you're not fucking children. You're children. (laughs) Sorry. Important clarification. That came out wrong at first. I was right in the middle of dialing my lawyer. So I'm glad you retracted that. But then I, but then I, so I watched MI2 and then I stopped at MI3 because of the, the South Park scandal. Oh, because of the closet episode. Yeah, because of the chapter in the closet episode making fun of him and Scientology. Tom Cruise was trying to get them pulled and they didn't budge. And so I was like, oh, you tried to fuck with South Park, which is my most beloved show of all time. Fuck you. And I have never seen a Mission Impossible movie since. I have seen the first two. No, I eventually saw other than that. I have not watched any of them just because I tried to fuck with South Park. Not a good look. But I mean, that was also around his like jumping on a couch days. <laughs> yeah. 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 God. Danny Elfman did the music. Yeah. Which at some point makes a lot of sense because it just totally drops the spy theme and at some point becomes whimsical for no reason. It's like, oh, there's the, there's Danny Elfman. There he comes. Yeah. Yeah. He pops his head up every once in a while. Oh, uh, is there anything else to talk about? Yes. What? I didn't give my backstory. <laughs> oh, fuck. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we went on a South Park tangent, as will happen. So sorry. Uh, what was your experience with this? Uh, it was definitely a VHS viewing for me as well. We had rented it. Much like Jules said, it seemed really hard to follow on that first viewing. Yeah, You know, second time around, once you got the gist of it, you see where all the pieces fit together, and it's a pretty good time. But we loved this. Like, me and my friends at school, you know, we just fucking loved this movie. It's not really quotable, but we'd reference it as much as we could. I actually took... See, I was even doing, like, handmade gifts back in the day. I literally took sticks of, like, double mint or something and brushed it with food coloring. And then I'd, like, chop them and stick them together so people would get the two colored gum sticks. That's rad. I was doing ridiculous, stupid shit as well all the way back then. The gum was just so iconic. It it was the same (laughs) at my school. Everyone would just try to find a way to bring in a stick of gum that looked like that. (laughs) Yeah. Or you'd carry it around with you so that if you're having some gum, someone asks if you have more, and then they open it up and they see that thing, and they're like, oh, get the fuck out of here. That's awesome. <laughs> At least that's what you think they're thinking. Who knows? <laughs> see, I think MI2 had a bigger impact on South Africa. I just remember, like, because it was in theaters there, and everyone saw it, and it was just much more of a thing, especially with the rock climbing at the beginning of the movie. Holy fuck. Yeah, he definitely like keeps topping himself in terms of the stunts he's he's done over the years. Like the 
holding onto the side of the plane as it takes off like holy unbelievable fuck. and the holding of his breath underwater is is just ridiculous honestly i'm gonna go with holding the breath is much more impressive <laughs> he, he was like working with navy seals and stuff like that that's it, it takes so much work to train your lungs to be able to hold hold that breath that much for minutes minutes yeah for minutes at a time and i mean i I'm not sure how many takes they had to do, but he definitely had to do it more than once, you know? I mean, it's it's fucking insane. Well, anyways, we've talked about pretty much everything except the actual movie, for which we only talked about for 30 seconds. So we're going to take a break, get our focus back, and when we come back, we'll uh, start breaking down Mission Impossible. Ah, oh, all right. Finally, some time off. Let's get settled in. First class, here we go. Mm. Hello, sir. Would you like to watch a movie? Oh, hey. Uh, n- no, thanks. I-, I got a book. I'm just going to read that. Could I interest you in the cinema of Canada? <laughs> no. Why would I want to watch a Canadian movie? <laughs> all their best actors are in Hollywood anyway. Sir, I highly recommend you watch this film immediately. Look, no thanks, man. Okay, I told you. I've got a book. I'm just going to read that. Thanks. Just watch the fucking movie. Jesus Christ. Oh, damn. You are pushy for a flight. You know, fine, fine. Give me the damn tape. Agent John, this is Jean-Jacques Dubois. No, 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 He's a radical Quebecois separatist terrorist who hates the United States. He has stolen a metric shit ton of maple syrup to spill across the Canadian border into downtown Detroit. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to stop Dubois and prevent him from turning Detroit into an urban pancake with his stockpile of sticky, gooey syrup. This is why I put my PTO in ago. In five seconds. No. I'm not accepting it. They can't figure out a way to cover for me while I'm taking my time off? That's their fault as management. At least I can light up a cigarette on this plane. Thank God for the 90s. Meanwhile, in downtown Detroit. Vive le Quebec! Vive le syrup! Mmm, tastes nice. This is the best thing to happen to this city in 30 years. We're back and we're going to open this movie up on uh, Emilio Estevez looking at an interrogation uh, and definitely not Tom Cruise in a mask is slapping some Russian guy around (laughs) to get a name. (laughs) And Emilio Estevez wants him to hurry up because she's been under too long. There's a girl on the bed, presumably like been killed by this dude, like definitely not Tom Cruise in a mask is convincing this Russian slash Ukrainian that says they're in Kiev. So yeah, unclear. Yeah, the subtitle is very awkward. It's like right in the center of the screen blocking stuff. Yeah. The Netflix closed captions on this movie, there's a fucking subplot here. There, there there's some there's some great moments. Oh really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I need let in on this story because I watched it on the DVD I still own, which has the amazing feature of letting you choose whether or not you want to watch it in full screen or widescreen. <gasps> My God. The peak of technology, dear listeners. (laughs) So she is like 
there's blood around her on the screen. Not Tom Cruise in a mask is trying to convince the Mark that he killed her, and he can't remember what happened. I don't even know how I got here in this obviously not a set of a hotel made by a high school drama department. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> the ceiling's not supposed to be there, right? <laughs> right. I guess he's just too disoriented from whatever the hell they used to knock him out in the first place. Cause, I mean, at least he keeps looking down. <laughs> so he finally gives them a name. And one of the agents, or we're going to eventually learn her name is Hannah. She's dressed up in a traditional Ukrainian outfit for reasons. I've been to Ukraine. There's like one place I've seen those things worn. It was a restaurant, but that is it. Yeah, I was like, is this, did they take the guy to a tourist hotel? What the fuck is this costume? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and why is there a waitress in this murder scene? Well, they needed vodka, obviously, so that they could drink and so room service. Duh. In Ukraine, you know, the waitresses are just trained not to notice murder victims. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just such a common occurrence. <laughs> yeah, it's not so much that they're trained. It's just. Eh, Thursday. <laughs> well, before she brings the vodka and she clearly spikes it with something and definitely not Tom Cruise in a mask, toasts with the guy who he just got this name from. The guy takes a shot and definitely not Tom Cruise, chucks his vodka away because it's poisoned and the guy dies. Yeah, and it works instantaneously. <laughs> Well, anyways, the dude dies. It works for the purposes of the movie. And after confirming that he's dead, definitely not Tom Cruise in a mask, walks out to where Emilio Estevez is and pulls off his mask. His definitely not mask. Is definitely not a mask. It's an iconic opening reveal. Oh, yeah. He has the time to say, get rid of that scum instead of instantly injecting the girl who's been under for too long. We'll learn her name is Claire. Yeah, he has to grab a syringe of, I guess, the antidote from Emilio Estevez. He injects her. And as they're, I guess, changing the scenery of the background, like getting rid of this set. Yeah, they're getting ready for their next interrogation. You know, they got to flip the walls. <laughs> You got to reset, you got to shift the camera, you want to get proper coverage of the whole scene, I get it. What the fuck did they inject her with that they are so worried that she's been under too long, Like, I don't know, because this is a movie, and so if it was adrenaline, she'd obviously have that like, <gasps> wake up, but she wakes up like she was just sleeping. Yeah, and she's like, did we get, and he's like, yeah, we got it. And that's the end of this little mission. And by the way, this mission it's cool. It's a cool, it's a good opening. Great pacing, whatever. Means nothing. It does not connect with the rest of the plot in any way. It's just, we're a team and we do spy shit as a team. That is the opening. And then a phone starts ringing and we go into theme music. The title sequence gives you spoilers of the movie. Oh, Exactly, yes. oh my god! And this is not the only time this will happen. This movie does give you spoilers <laughs> on quite a few occasions. Everything in this is so frantic that you don't really understand what you're looking at unless you've watched the movie, though. But yes, watching it now, I was just like, they just spoiled the entire fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's intercut with a lit fuse as an homage to the opening of the original TV show. Very nice. And this time when I watched it, I'd completely forgot that Brian De Palma made this movie. And it's Serpico and, you know, so many incredible movies. Snake Eyes with Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs> We jumped into the theme song, but about the uh, pointlessness of the first scene, I think it's to establish this team as a team so that what happens in the next little mission is more of a shock. 
It already establishes these people work together, and now they're coming together again for another mission. Got it. Yeah, I, I didn't have a problem in the opening. However, none of them, apart from Tom Cruise, make it into the opening credits. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that you see them all dying in the title sequence, as mentioned. So there's a bit of a giveaway there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God damn movie. So John Flight is flying first class. I, I, I guess on British Airways, as we'll learn later, the airline of choice for international spies. Well, they have those sweet Super 8 movies for you to watch. Yes, they do. She goes around so, because this is the height of fucking luxury in 1996. <laughs> Instead of having to watch the movie being projected onto the screen like a pleb, you get to pick your own movie on a mini cassette. This flight attendant's going around offering movies, goes up to John Voight and is like, would you like to watch a movie, Mr. Voight? And he's like, nah, I'm cool. And she's like, fuck that. Theater's better. <laughs> she says, well, perhaps you would like to consider the cinema of the Ukraine. It's like, lady, I'm flying somewhere. I'm not looking to off myself. You know how depressing Eastern European movies are? Jesus. <laughs> and I have to say that whilst I did enjoy this sort of covert way in which they receive their missions, this is not a very good place to have a secret movie playing. No. One guy goes to the bathroom and he's seeing about four or five covert operatives, as well as a trader and all these details. It's not a private situation. <laughs> no, it's not. But I will say that thanks to the use of headphones, he'd probably be like, that's a cool looking spy movie that dude's watching. I'm going to have to <laughs> ask her what that's called and see if I can see that myself. <laughs> Yeah, so he accepts the movies watching it. This is a shitty movie. It lasts like 20 seconds. Ah, it's the worst. It's barely a YouTube video. Barely a TikTok. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. But here's the thing. Is this flight attendant, is she a spy or is she just like works for the airline? She is absolutely in on it. Well, she's obviously in on it, but is she like, she worked for the airline and just like, this is a side gig or is like, no, no, I think that's her cover is being a flight attendant. And then her mission is to uh, deliver the movies. Yeah. Okay. But the question is, how many airlines does she work for? That's a great question. Like, is she just the British Airways one? And they have someone in Delta and Southwest and JetBlue and in Ryanair, you know, like. Your mission is to lose everyone's luggage. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of your mission, again, this is like the worst way to like run a spy ring because it's your mission if you choose to accept it. So you're going to be like, I don't feel like it. They were just like, we just did one last week. Bahamas? Who just wants? Yeah, let's just go to the Bahamas, man. <laughs> yeah, I do not. I choose not to accept this mission. Fuck you. Yeah, exactly. They're just like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> so, anyways, the actual briefing that he gets on his his tape is that there's a, a traitor named Galitzin, and he's stolen half of the knock NOC list. Does anyone know what that stands for? Because it's never explained. Not a clue. Uh, (laughs) so the knock list is a list of undercover agents in eastern europe well at least the one that he's stolen there you need both halves to have the full list and to figure out who the hell's who and so he's planning on stealing the other half from their embassy in prague so he's gotta take his team photograph galitzin doing the thing follow him to his buyer and then arrest them both and then we see the uh, operatives, and each one is 
reintroduced. It's a very good, uh, as you already know, moment. Yeah. But there are some good details. I mean, here you discover, if you pay close attention, that Jim was the training officer of Ethan. Ethan is the training officer of Hannah. You know, there's there's little fun details that you can look at. But it did make me chuckle when I found out that Ethan's code name is Philippe Duchette. <laughs> I don't know why that made me chuckle a little bit. Little douche. <laughs> I don't get why um, Sarah, the one who's already undercover in Prague, her name when they get to the embassy, as she's introduced around the security clearance, is her same name. She, she doesn't have an alias for the embassy mission. <laughs> no, she's just Sarah. <laughs> she's just Sarah. Worst knocklist undercover moment ever. <laughs> Seriously. Well, as is Mission Impossible tradition, the tape self-destructs. And he covers it with a cigarette. Yeah. Because all kinds of burning smell the same. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) They just think, oh, and you could smoke in planes and in movies. Yep. And you could smoke movies on planes. Strange time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So fade to Prague. Such a weird phrase, but I love it. Fade to Prague. God, the editor of this movie had such a boner for crossfades. And okay, look, this movie has great moments. It had a great opening. But from this until after he gets disavowed is just excruciatingly paced. Sorry, but I do disagree with you here. I enjoy the subtlety just because action thrillers these days have become so without it that I've craved scenes and sequences like this. Yeah, I mean, I miss it too. But that title sequence is the sort of thing you get nowadays where everything is just so loud and in your face and it's flashing a bunch of shit at you at once and that's just not the kind of movie that follows. Right. I think that's why I I got a little like, uh They like built up a bit more and like the pace had started a little slower from the beginning and it ramped up to what we get at the end. I think, yeah, I would have been a bit more on board. So we get to watch John Voight giving a briefing and that's about as fun as it sounds. The movie attempts banter between the team members, and oh boy, this is painful. I just wanted to point out this is another Jean Renault movie where everyone's criticizing the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but Jean Renault is not part of the criticism. No, no. Which is unfortunate. Maybe it's just wherever Jean Renault goes. <laughs> coffee sucks. That is his postman pack curse. Exactly. Like we we have birds, but the coffee's gonna suck. So you know, trade off. <laughs> um, on the coffee note, I don't think Emilio Estevez was given the full script because he did not seem to mind what he was sipping out of that styrofoam cup in Kiev. <laughs> Well, clearly Claire wasn't making the coffee in Kiev. But she was. Was she? When Tom Cruise is like, what the hell do you call this? And oh, I made that coffee, the the shitty banter. He's like, is it possible it's worse than the sludge you cooked up in that barn in Kiev? Okay, okay. (gasps) That's what was in that dude's vodka. (laughs) (laughs) That's what the death vodka was made from. It was really Claire's coffee. She sucks so hard. It's clear. Oh my god. Oh man. So this is a complete reversal of Godzilla because it's the Americans making fun of the French person for how shit her coffee is as opposed to the French making fun of Americans for coffee. The revenge. Okay, I need to start making a, a rankings table. Coffee expectations in New York for Godzilla. <laughs> Claire's coffee in Mission Impossible 
and Rachel's Coffee from Friends. We're going to start a coffee list. We need to start ranking this shit right now or it's going to get out of hand. It's going to be unmanageable. God. And this is a bold fucking move because they're making fun of her coffee in front of her husband slash their boss. Yep. Like, holy fuck. And it's the 90s, so asking for a cappuccino machine is just an overall dick move. (laughs) Yeah, you're one of them douchey-bag European types. Damn right. And so they're not done making fun of people because now they start making fun of John Voight because while they were off in Kiev, he was, you know, doing some cushy recruitment assignment in Chicago and he was staying at the Drake Hotel. And that's very important to know. By the way, look this place up. It is fancy as fuck. You reckon they still have Bibles? Damn right. (laughs) It's America. Christian founded nation. (laughs) Bibbles. Bibbles. <laughs> One of my things is just to call the Bible a bibble. I just find it a fun word. <laughs> While I love it, it irritates the fuck out of me because there's not a double B in the middle. I know. Well, look, I mean, they put bibbles in Live Vegas hotels. So... <laughs> it's so funny to say. It's still so funny to say, though. I'm just going to call it the bibble from now on. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so John Voight brings the mood down because he's like, look, okay, guys, this is actually a pretty serious mission. You know, the lives of all the spies who are undercover is at stake. You know, you can sell this to, you know, third world dictators and terrorist groups. Just don't fuck this up, right? It's good to establish stakes. And it's not crazy save the world kind of stakes. It's it's genuine, specific, legit stakes. Yeah, it's great. It's just kind of like, I think it was just like very noticeable because it went from they're making fun of him for steak at the Drake Hotel to being like, okay, guys, but like seriously, can't fuck this up. Lives are at stake. Mm-hmm. So Amelia Estevez gives Sarah a pair of video streaming glasses and explains how they work in detail because Snapchat glasses weren't invented yet. Google Glass, it was not a thing at this point. And it is very important to note that the camera is in the bridge. Yes. I will bring this up much later. I do want to put some appreciation to the fact that these gadgets and items are really well used for plot significance. That was done very, very smoothly in this movie. Agreed. Yeah, it didn't have the James Bond heavy-handedness of, oh, here's your gadgets, and it's like, oh, this is the shit that he's going to use to get out of a situation. Mm -hmm. Things come up multiple times. You see how they're used, different applications. Yeah, it's very nice. Exactly. And they seem practical. That's the other thing. That's even with the show Mission Impossible is what it was. It was more about using your brains and, you know, sneaking in and that sort of stuff. I also believe that Sarah would know how this shit works. Obviously, this briefing is for the audience's benefit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And we're also not done painstakingly going over every fucking detail of this mission. It's just like he's pointing out to where the rendezvous point is and you should drive around this area beforehand. Tom Cruise is looking at uh, videos of the senator that he's going to be playing. Senator Old Man Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Senator Old Man Tom. <laughs> he was terrifying, wasn't he? I mean, I got some flashes of Tropic Thunder here. A little bit. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. And this is also where Emilio Estevez explains the infamous stick of gum bomb. Red light, green light. Red light, green light. Hasta lasagna, Hasta don't, lasagna get don't get any on you. <laughs> That is an amazing line. I want to say that all the time now. We did say that all the time, especially showing up with our homemade versions of the cup. <laughs> oh my God. Definitely don't want to get any of that on you. Uh, so fade to fancy embassy party. 
Emilio Estevez, he's got to get into the elevator shaft because that's apparently the only place in the entire building that he can access the fingerprint reader to the secure area that they are going to try and break into. Yeah, I don't get that. And I really want to see how he snuck in in his I'm a sneaky crawling around guy uniform. He's got the gadget vest and the like I I don't know, man. Yeah. And then also we get Tom Cruise POV of him rendezvousing with Sarah inside uh, as Galitzin arrives. Hannah's wearing these like special sunglasses. So when Sarah sprays the back of Galitzin's head, it glows. Yeah, but she has to wait for the cue from John Voight to activate that filter. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Yeah, he's micromanaging the shit out of this team. Well, meanwhile, she's not so subtly staring directly at him. <laughs> yeah, she stays at the same spot for way too long. Anybody who's in espionage would absolutely recognize her. Anyone in the embassy would just walk past her and say, why is that woman staring so intently in the middle of the stairs? <laughs> One guy. And attempting to rehearse her ventriloquism act. <laughs> She's obviously moving her lips, but trying to look like she isn't. <laughs> And why is she wearing her sunglasses at night indoors? That's that's just tacky. That's a douchette move right there. <laughs> hey! <laughs> so Sarah pretends to give Tom Cruise a tour of the place. They're going to go head to the elevator that takes them to the secure area, and she pushes the button to call it, but it's also a fingerprint reader. Right, so as you press the elevator call button, you have to hold your finger there as it slowly fades to red. Yes, and then in the room adjacent to the hallway, there's some marine guards watching the database of fingerprints going. Yes, because this is a movie database, so instead of just having a bar that says, like, running recognition, or whatever, it actually has to display all the other fingerprints and photos that are in the goddamn database until it finds a match. But here's my question. Why is this hallway even accessible? <laughs> I don't know, man. Movie. The movie's gotta fucking happen, so that's why they designed it that way. It's like, once you get inside the embassy, you're just allowed to go anywhere up to the point of the biometric scans. <laughs> Secret records room this way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's from like a massive stairwell in the ballroom. It's like denied area, like flashing neon sign. What the fuck? I did want to appreciate, though, the little banters that the two have to try to dissuade this Marine from getting too serious. It's like, you know, we are purely at this party. We so belong here. It's a brilliant time delay tactic. And oh, silly me, the ID's in this purse somewhere. And, oh, it turns out I need my glasses too. Oh, hold on. Super casual and normal things that happen. Yes, because they need to stall for time so that Emilio Estevez could get set up on top of the elevator and plug into the fingerprint reader to upload her biometrics into the database so there can be a match. Yeah, Emilio is not good at his job. No. Which leads into my favorite bit of the banter because he can obviously listen in and hear what they're saying and they start talking shit about him and how slow he is it's so and great southern <laughs> senator tom cruise starts talking about how he should drag him behind one of his horses 
<laughs> because he's such an unreliable employee. It was so good. I so love this. And he's just like, I'm fucking working on it, man. <laughs> yeah, so here's what I find weird about this. So they need her ID. They need to match her fingerprints to give her access. But they don't feel like they need to check Tom Cruise's ID to confirm that he's the senator and not an imposter. Well, it's not his fingerprint getting scanned. Right, but like they still don't in any way try to confirm his identity. They don't ask him for any Security clearance comes with a plus one. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Anyways, they get cleared to go to the elevator. They go down into the secret area. And basically what they're going to do is they set up Tom Cruise's camera glasses to point at the computer terminal. They also make sure the monitor of the computer is angled towards the camera so that when Galitzin comes down to steal the knock list, they get it all on video. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I sit down to a computer, I always leave everything exactly the way it was set up. <laughs> what, do, what do you mean? They, they, they with it. If you were Galitzin who came in and sat down at this desk, you would not adjust the monitor so that it faces you better? That is very true. That was what the sarcasm was for. Got it, got it. My, my sarcasm, Dar, is is a little off today. So Jules caught it. He saw it. I don't think you could ever break Jules's sarcasm, Dar. That's just... <laughs> It's just tight. It's too dry. He's got the British advantage there. (laughs) God. So, okay. So that's all set up. They try to go into the elevator to get out, but Glitzen's already trying to come down. So John Voight remotely opens the elevator door so they can jump down into the bottom of the stairwell. But Emilio Estevez can't. This is his second fuck up. At this point, I'm thinking this is an operative who is probably going to die. Well, this leads back to the question of why does Emilio have to be sitting on top of the elevator if John Voigt can control the fucking thing from the hotel room? Yeah. But here's the thing. He's probably able to connect from the hotel room because Emilio's there and is plugged in directly. So he, Emilio has to plug in directly, but his computer can talk to Emilio's computer. I'm over, we're all overthinking this, but yeah, I, I see what you're getting at. Jeff Goldblum utilized alien technology. Got it. Cool. Look, this movie does not know how to technology on so many levels. This was mid-90s and computers equal magic. Yes. True. So they go into the bottom of the the elevator shaft and Galitzin comes down. And that's when Tom Cruise takes his mask off because there's just happens to be an exit to the outside through the elevator shaft. Yeah. Like when Tom Cruise is like, open the doors, we're taking Galitzin's exit. They somehow knew that that was this guy's plan to leave through the elevator shaft. Yeah. How? And also, embassies are like one of the most secure fucking places on earth. Nobody notices them leaving from this obscure part of the grounds to the outside. Secret agents were provided with the Marauders map. (laughs) (laughs) There's all kinds of secret passageways. For some reason, I was fixated on Galitzin hacking this computer. Yeah, Galitzin is super casual about stealing top secret information. (laughs) (laughs) He has the forethought to put some gloves on. It's good. But he's just kind of sitting there chilling in the chair, making sure these glasses can see him. It's just like, click, 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 click. So, yeah, uh, Glitzen steals the knock list. Tom Cruise watches it happen on his Apple Watch. It's now time to go to transport. They got it. They're going to follow him. However, the elevator starts going up the shaft. Emilio Estevez can't stop it, and neither can John Voight. (gasps) What's going on here? And this is when Emilio Estevez gets impaled by, what the fuck? Something? (laughs) 
something that does not exist in any elevator shaft ever? Like, what the fuck are these, like, pylon spikes that deploy on the top? Elevator spikes. <laughs> but he doesn't even get impaled on those. There's just some other broken thing hanging down. Yeah. I don't know why Jack doesn't duck. Also a great question. Yeah, so Tom Cruise, he, he's outside with Sarah, and they're pretending to be a couple that canoodle, that's canoodling at a, next to a wall. John Voight tells Tom Cruise that Emilio Estevez is man down. He's going to come out to them for reasons. So while Tom Cruise and Sarah are against the wall and they've just learned that Emilio Estevez has died, this drunken couple comes along. And this is where we get the first of many amazing Netflix closed captions, because the closed caption here says that they're speaking in a foreign language. (laughs) Whoa, how helpful. Hey, hey, Netflix subtitles person. Um. They're in the Czech Republic. It's probably Czech. I know this couple's referred to as a Russian couple later because Tom Cruise says he heard this couple speaking Russian. The drunk Russians, yeah. Yeah, mm, I don't think they're Russian. I adore streaming services, but they need to get some properly qualified closed caption and script writers for breakdowns. I mean, HBO Max has the shitty has the shitty descriptions, but Netflix definitely they need to check their subtitles. They really do. Sometimes. You can sign up online for this job. Your only qualification is you have to be fluent in the language you're going to be typing. Basically. So that's why they can be weird. That's why you get stuff like just foreign language or, you know, singing in Japanese or something like that. When I heard about this, I was like, no fucking way. I'm going to see if I can do that. I can type quickly. Not allowed to apply if you're in California. I don't know what the fuck there is about that. Weird. That's discrimination. Damn right. But also, yeah, there was definitely a typo at some point in the in the closed captions. They need to double check those typos. They do. It was embarrassing. So John Voight tells Tom Cruise that he's got a shadow because he's walking across a bridge. They're being ambushed. Abort, abort. Uh, however, Tom Cruise isn't going to let Galitzin get away. So he starts going to the he goes to the bridge right like it sounds like he's gonna follow him but he ends up going to the bridge and then sarah follows galitzin yeah that was kind of weird also the fact that when we're aborting we're also cutting all communication which is gonna come up in a moment yeah but they're gonna mention that oh yeah this, this channel's being monitored it's not safe so tom cruise while he's going to the bridge sees claire in the getaway car And we also see Hannah getting into it. Well, Hannah gets into it a little bit later, yeah. Yeah. So John Voight gets shot. We see over Tom Cruise's Apple Watch that he's got blood on his hands and we watch him fall into the river off the bridge. As he calls for Tom Cruise over the secure radio channel that he himself gave the order to stop using? The insecure radio channel, yes. Yeah, the compromised channel. This is definitely an iconic everyone dies moment, and uh, a lot of credit for this. Oh, yeah. And once you know what happens in this movie, it is so obviously gun being held awkwardly in front of the camera. (laughs) POV. Right. Yeah. And we'll see later that Tom Cruise notices that little detail. But it makes even less sense. Can we go ahead and spoil it? Sure. People, you should have seen this movie. He was still wearing the glasses. What do you mean? John Voight was still wearing the glasses. Right. So to do this POV shot of the gun shooting into his face, he would have to shoot into his own face because he's still wearing the goddamn glasses. Oh, that is very true. (laughs) That is very, very true. 
He's not holding him off to the side or something like that. Nope. The mechanics of all this are shady as fuck. Well, anyways, Tom Cruise radios Sarah to abort, but she doesn't listen. This is when Hannah gets into the car right before it explodes. It blows up. Tom Cruise sees this. He's like, oh, fuck. Is this the point where we also get the spoiler of the two drunk people on the street holding their earpiece? Yeah, it's happening now because Sarah continues to follow Galitzin, who gets stabbed through a gate next to the river. This is when that couple speaking Russian and or Czech kind of does the earpiece thing. The guy touches the earpiece. This is the point at which it spoils the twist, the really great twist that we're about to get. It gives you the tease. The reveal, I think the reveal still works. It's just not as much of out of left field. Exactly, yeah. Not as impactful because we know something's up. So he goes to Sarah and she's also been stabbed through the gate with Galitzin. Galitzin doesn't have the disc. And the person who stabbed left the knife behind. As one does. That is very important for later. Some canal police show up and once again, the closed captions let us know that they're yelling in a foreign language. Oh <laughs> Gee, my God. I wonder what language the Prague police would be yelling in. It's actually English, but it's an Australian accent and therefore difficult to understand. They speak Czech. Stop being sensible. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom Cruise he hops the the stab fence and makes his way to a phone booth. The stab fence. <laughs> it is the stab fence. I want a stab fence. <laughs> so Tom Cruise yeah he makes his way to a phone booth and he puts a device in the mouthpiece and calls someone named Kitridge. Kitridge. Kitridge or Kitridge. K i double t r a g I think Kitridge. Dude, Nick can't say Vivica. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> kitty kitty cat all right so he calls kitty <laughs> and this movie thinks going secure is like going live and scream you can just it... well okay so i always took it as the little thing he put in the phone would encrypt his end somehow and then the the operator at the agency that he's calling is gonna patch him through to kitty who apparently just talks on any whatever unsecured line. He's like, oh, go secure. And so I took it as Kitty then had to put his little thing into the telephone. <laughs> okay, we're good. Go ahead. It's a bad Mr. Kitty. It's a bad Mr. Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of South Park going on today on this episode. <laughs> know, it's, it, it is a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> So, yeah, he tells him, look, my team is dead. The disc is missing. Like, he's like, all right, calm down. Um, Make sure you're not followed. Meet me at, like, location green in one hour. He's like, wait, hang on. You're in Prague? So Kitty invites Tom Cruise to dinner. I love how we're just going with <laughs> Kitty for Kitridge. Yes, that is now his name. Is that his name? Okay. And the restaurant is uh, is an aquarium. Yeah, it's literally called Aquarium in Czech, presumably. And man, these fish tanks like at the front are like super high. I hope those don't blow apart at some point. <laughs> those fish are going to be really surprised if they do. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever you see glass. <laughs> yep. So he sits down at the table across from Kitty, who gives his condolences that his team is lost. You know, you're especially close to John Voight. You know, Kitty gives I Tom Cruise a passport and a visa to go back to America. I'm going to have him get debriefed at Langley. And Tom Cruise is like, cool, so why was there a second IMF team? Why were they at the embassy? And why are they all here? Yeah. <laughs> it's a great twist. 
It's a great twist. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's like, you know, that guy was on the stairs, That the, they were the Russian couple, that guy was the so-and-so, and it's just like, okay, look, Kitty explains that they discovered an encrypted message on the internet. Ooh, so fit. Oh my god. <laughs> I so love this plot point and how it develops. It's so crazy. It's amazing. So they decrypted a, a message from the internet from a Czech arms dealer named Max, who is known to like corrupt IMF agents sent Galitzin on job 314 to get the knock list 314 job 314 yes it is important to say it that way yeah. uh, very true but Galitzin uh, was actually Kitty's man on the inside of the knock list was a decoy the real one is still in Langley haha <laughs> because basically this whole mission was a mole hunt and because Tom Cruise is the only survivor he's much more suspicious as being the mole and the camera work and the suspense built up here is is really good very good it builds to a moment where tom cruise is fiddling with the gum which is a beautiful bomb under the table moment this is great hitchcockian kind of suspense here it's really gorgeous this this scene it's fantastic my only question is if we're in the czech republic why are so many of the angles dutch What would be a Czech angle? We have like one listener of the Czech Republic. Czech Republic listener. What would, a, what would a Czech angle be? Let us know. So Tom Cruise squished gum together. And he ch- so there's two fish tanks. There's one that's like above the entranceway to the restaurant. And then there's like one on the inside on the ground floor. And he chucks it against the one that's inside. And it doesn't just blow up the one on the inside, it blows up the ones on the outside. He sort of disguises the throw like he's mad and knocks over the glasses, except the explosive gum hits the tank and literally everyone there notices it and knows what it does because they all run for cover. Yeah, so there's an exp- the explosion blasts through the fish tanks inside and outside, and Tom Cruise like basically rides a wave, like runs through a, a wave. No, no, he outruns a goddamn wave, a thing that happened for real. They dumped a shitload of water behind him, and he outran that motherfucker. And I think Jesus like came down and like did something with this water and the fishes because there was definitely more water coming out and more <laughs> fishes than were in there originally. There was some multiplication of fishes and water that happened here. Well, I mean, we don't know how far up the ceiling tank goes. Uh, I think Jesus is not going to be happy that you are shit. <laughs> I have disappointed Jesus for the last 30 years of my life. I'm fine with it. (laughs) But is this also a moment where an explosion seems to propel Ethan in a direction? Or no? No. Kind of. Oh, someone else definitely did get rocketed through that fucking window. It just wasn't Tom Cruise. Okay. But at least we know that that explosions propel people, because that will be important <laughs> later. Yes, it is Chekhov's propulsion. Chekhov's, Chekhov's propulsion. propulsion. <laughs> uh, my, my only other add-on to this whole sequence is I'm pretty sure this is how Nick exits a restaurant after he finds out his date has kids. <laughs> how did you know? Ah. <laughs> uh, also, thanks for thanks for believing that I date. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Is Nick the one who sets off the explosion or the one who gets rocketed through the window? <laughs> Can't it be both? 
Porque no los dos, sure. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so Tom Cruise returns to the safe house where his team prepared for the mission and was immediately captured by Kitty because he obviously knew where it was since he sent the team there. Yeah, I just, even though the movie shows that he's going back there to like try and find money, you know, and get some shit so that he can get out of there. It still was hammering in my head. Why the fuck are you going back to the safe house? It's not a safe house anymore. It's a danger house. But not if you put your very elaborate warning system in place. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this too, actually. So yeah, he takes a light bulb out of like one of the hallway lights and he crushes it in his suit jacket and then sprinkles the crushed glass along the floor. So if anybody walks across it, they're going to make a crush. And then lightly unscrews uh, the other light down in the hall. So you, know, you wouldn't be able to see the crushed glass as well either. Yeah, it was a smart move, but it was more of just why the fuck are you going back there? How how does this seem safe anymore? Well, the only caveat that I had is that he closes the door so he wouldn't hear it. He can hear that shit in his sleep. <laughs> but I did feel like this was like the OG Jason Bourne moment. It's whatever you have, whatever you see. It's more about the training of the operative than it is about the special things they have. You know, the, the devices, the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want to take back what I just said. He's so good, he can hear it in his sleep, but still not actually wake up. Because dream sequence? I, I realize I'm skipping a little bit here, but you see him nodding off. He hears the crunching glass and he snaps wide awake, but he's still in the middle of a dream sequence. <laughs> yes. But yeah, you did skip ahead a little bit. But So before all that happens, he gets a gun out of a flower pot. Uh, and then he tries to like find money in this gargantuan bathroom. So big, it has a fucking hot water samovar in it. You know where I really want to make a cup of tea, guys? In the same room I poop. I believe that's called multitasking. That's what electric kettles are for. Come on. It'll make you British one of these days. If you if you can't make a cup of tea on the toilet, you don't deserve citizenship. <laughs> I have an electric kettle and it stays well the fuck away from my bathroom. <laughs> well, clearly you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Apparently I am. I need to start pooping and making tea. <laughs> It'll still be better than Claire's coffee. <laughs> you said this was French roast. <laughs> oh my god, that's disgusting. Oh, uh, anyways, moving beyond the poop jokes. Um, these are coffee jokes. <laughs> sure, they are. <laughs> so yeah just in case you'd forgotten the previous scene uh we get voiceover flashback from kitty talking about job 314 and the most amazing internet searches begin oh my god <laughs> the worst mid-90s googling before google it's usenet <laughs> is that a real thing um i'm pretty sure it was did you see what some of the lists came up with, though? Not when he said search all Usenet groups. I did not look at that list. I did. I did. I looked at that list, and there are some fun additions, especially because Tom Cruise is looking at them. Oh, please. Yes. Because one of them is alt-alien research. <gasps> the next is 
alt alien vampire flonk flonk flonk. <laughs> okay, so we got interview with the vampire. We've got Scientology. Nice. And the final one is alt alien visitors. <laughs> it's so perfect. That is amazing. Thank you for doing that. But what's crazy is that he thinks this like pseudonymous check arms dealer is going to be searchable on the internet. Yeah. He just types in job 314, like 314, and then something like max job 314, like simple Google searches. So you got to give him credit. He's doing his own research. But it's so crazy because he's doing this and it cuts back to him. Like his his facial expressions are so weird. He's like doing this really intensely, you know? Like this yeah, is a- he's getting really frustrated. By the, by the lack of results here. But then he sees a Bible. A Bibble. A Bibble. He sees the Holy Bibble. <laughs> Perfectly centered over his computer monitor with an extra bit of light shining on it. <laughs> yes, it's got holy light shining directly on it. Well, it's the Bibble, of course. It, it is the Bibble. <laughs> no angelic voices, though. That's that, That's the shame that they missed that opportunity. This is a serious movie. <laughs> So serious was this moment that this is my favorite Netflix closed caption fuck-ups. You have Holy Bible because they zoom in. It is taking up most of the fucking frame. You can read the spine of this book. Oh, God, it's one of those where it tells you, like, what the sign says sort of thing. It literally underneath Holy Bible on screen, they subtitle Holy Bible. I would have loved it if they typoed and said Holy Bible at that point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I could see it no problem with DVD resolution, so I'm not sure why they would need the subtitles. They did not. They did not. So, yeah, so he takes the Bible and he flips to Job 3.14, and this somehow allows him to search for the secret website that he can communicate to Max. No, no, no. He reads the verse, which is something about how, like, kings who led their lands into ruin or something like that. Yeah. And it, it just clicks in his head, and he's like, oh, you son of a bitch. Like, he know, he instantly knows that this is what it actually means. Yeah. And then he proceeds to message every single Bible discussion group about Job 3.14 and tell them that the goods are tainted. Yes, because remember how Kitty said that they decrypted a message from the internet <laughs> by decrypted they meant they, they came across the dm, <laughs> they looked the DM. <laughs> you are in a message board group about the book of job not just the bible but specifically the book of job <laughs> and someone sends you a, a dm right and also if you know that IMF or CIA, whatever, has decrypted the shit and can read these messages, why the fuck are you trying to reach out over the internet? From and still in the safe house that they know their suspect stays at. I think the idea is that they didn't know about the safe house they chose. These guys are trained to work independently without reporting you know, their locations and everything else. And in the case of the messaging, they wouldn't be able to track who left the message. It was just going to be an anonymous message saying goods tainted, not encrypted. But it is confusing at why Max thinks he's Job later on, because he clearly didn't encrypt his message. (laughs) Nope. And Max mentions the telltale signs within the messages that make it very different from Job's communications. (laughs) And he's messaging it to, like, what's it? Max at Book of Job 314. (laughs) That's not an email address. (laughs) No, it's not. No, 
it's not. To Max, oh, I think it's just Max at Book of Job, and then the subject is like Job three fourteen. You know, no, it's like Max at Job three fourteen, and because when he sends messages later, it's going to be Max at Job three fifteen. So apparently, multiple not email addresses. Right, but there's also a subject line which is just Job three fourteen. <laughs> so it'd be like Nick at Gmail message title Gmail. <laughs> <laughs> I am picturing, though, a lot of Bible discussion groups just acting like they've been discovered. They've been smuggling things, and they're just like, oh, shit, and they start disappearing all across the world. <laughs> they've cracked our code! Because <laughs> there was a wonderful prank that Arthur Conan Doyle once played on his friends, oh? where he sent, like, 20 of them a message saying, we are discovered, flee immediately, and three of them disappeared, and he didn't know the reason. Oh, what a dick. <laughs> what a dick. Dick. <laughs> but at the same time, he figured out which three of his friends were up to some shady shit. Yeah, right? Yeah, but then they also disappeared, so you can't find them. <laughs> it's fine, but this thing, at least you're not like, hey, Mike was up to some bullshit. <laughs> oh my God. That is amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, a very sleepy Tom Cruise. Uh, here's glass crunching in the hallway, so uh, clearly someone's coming. And then a very bloody John Voight walks in and tells him, Ethan, I needed you on the bridge, Ethan. Uh. But psych, it's just a hallucination. It's actually Claire. Claire's there. And he loses his fucking shit, man. He, like, chucks her like across the room, like, points a gun at her. It's like, hey, I saw you blow up in the car. She's like, nope, I wasn't in it. I got out after the abort signal. Yeah, we were told to abort. I walked away. You know, okay, who sent you? That was hours ago. We're supposed to rendezvous at four. Yeah. She's like, I'm following instructions. I walked away. I'm coming back at the appointed time. And, you know, he's freaking out. He's gotten taken in, almost arrested, outran a wave. You know, a lot of shit going on. So he has to give her a minor strip search. <laughs> well, after telling her that John Voigt, her husband, is dead, so it's a very, like, weepy stri like, strip search. Yeah. But the way he tells her is sort of like, it happened a long time ago and she's still in denial? Wake up! He's dead! Like, this is the first she's hearing about it. Yeah. I also kind of want to point out that he knows that there was a mole hunt. He knows that he didn't do it. He was the only survivor. Now, Claire is the other survivor. She is instantly prime suspect. You would think. Yeah, she should be, but not to him. My point is he trusts her too soon after this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like he automatically believes she's maybe working with Kitty directly. And just anyone is out to get him. Yeah, that's the way he's seeing it. He doesn't think of her as a suspect at all. That never clicked for me. Nice catch. Yeah, but like, you know, in the process of all this, he throws her across the room, gives her a very forcible strip search, like aggressively like grabs under her boobs to make sure there's nothing under there. And eventually like pins her down onto the bed. And you could not do this to a female character today without Tom Cruise being the bad guy. You don't think so? It's purely professional, you can tell. I get why the search was aggressive. I mean, yeah, given the circumstances, I'm not sure what the throwing her on the bed and landing on top of her bit was about. Yeah, that that's true. Yeah, there's a lot of sexual tension. There was sexual tension between them when he woke her up with the injection at the beginning of the movie. Like, it's just all there was sexual tension between Gordon Bombay and that styrofoam cup of shit coffee. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, so when she mentions like, like, hey, yeah, like I'm back at 4 a.m., you know, 0400. Okay. 
yeah, you, you follow procedure, like, and that kind of gets him to let his guard down. Fade to later that morning, tells her that Kitty thinks he's a mole, and, you know, whoever this Job is, is clearly the real mole, and he's working with Max. So what he's gonna do is get the real knock list to lure Job out. Claire tells Tom Cruise that he's not making any sense, and yeah, I agree, you're gonna go steal a whole fucking list? Like, that's the one and only solution, the only way to lure this Job guy out? Also, Claire has not signed up to be on his team for this yet, and he's revealing his entire plan to her. Yes. Oh, absolutely, the prime suspect. Well, to anyone who's paying attention, but yeah, so she says, like, look, I'll go talk to Kitty, but Tom Cruise is like, no, you know, if you're not dead, Kitty's going to think that you're working with me. Identifies her as a prime suspect and as a <laughs> as a prime accessory. <laughs> it's, it's a little confusing. Exactly. So then, oh, God, the, the computer bleeps message waiting. <laughs> You've got mail. <laughs> oh, but better than you've got mail, you get an animated envelope from Max <laughs> <Yes>. to Job. <laughs> uh, to Job at Book of Job. Not .com, not .org, not .edu, just Job at Book of Job. Jesus Christ. Well, the message tells him where to meet up and what the code is. So fade to meeting place. The secret code brought to you by Unseen Dunhills? Apparently, so he asks a guy who I call Check Fabio for a match. Yes, Check Fabio. <laughs> and him lighting the match is a signal for a car that's like 20 feet away to drive up and pick them up. So the car screeches out of an alley that's in the background. The way the guy turns, you would think it's coming from the left. Because he kind of turns to the side to flash the match. And then the car comes from a very different direction than you would expect for them to see the signal. He gets in the car. They put a scarecrow from Batman's ski mask on him <laughs> to, go, to go take him to see Max. That's the so I laugh so goddamn hard at the sequence this time because they do similar to the beginning of the embassy where this is all happening in Tom Cruise's POV. But when it gets to the car, like the door opens, the camera lowers and doesn't really move in. So it didn't get like all the way in like he came in and sat down, but you still hear the car door close. But the way the POV would actually work is that he just walked up to the car and just kind of like scrunched down to look inside and is talking <laughs> to the dude. <laughs> <laughs> so they get to a place and takes off the ski mask and it turns out that max is vanessa redgrave vanessa redgrave arms dealer yes oh my god just incredibly charming made me so happy she and she she acts this so well this entire movie <laughs> although there's definitely a through line of she wants to fuck tom cruise throughout oh yeah they're flirting the entire time this is a movie by Tom Cruise. This is a movie by Tom Cruise. Or also Vanessa Redgrave is like, look, Tom, I'll do your movie, but you and I are banging. <laughs> it's in the contract. It's in the contract. <laughs> so Tom Cruise just straight up asks Vanessa Redgrave for $150,000, which she naturally finds amusing. And he's like, look, well, he gave Job 125000 And he's like, oh, fuck, you're not actually Job. And then she remembers all the stuff we mentioned previously that was big red flags and it's not <laughs> Job messaging her. And yet she brings him into her lair. Yes! 
the fuck? But there is back and forth and banter and the tension's rising, but he does prove his worth by saying, look, you've got, you know, tainted goods here. There's obviously going to be a tracking on here. You, you don't believe me? Go ahead. Boot it up. We can, we can get arrested right now. Sure. Yeah, and she's kind of like, look, you're telling me the disc is tainted, the information's not correct, but you're also telling me I can't look at the disc to verify what you're saying, which just doesn't sit well with me. And he's like, cool, go ahead. You'll have Virginia farm boys hopping around you like jackrabbits. <laughs> that was a good line. She's like, I'm going to do it. And he's like, cool, go ahead, but just pack first because you're gonna have to get the fuck out of here real fast (laughs) so they put the disc in and tom cruise says that they probably got about two minutes which means that imf just has agents all over the city and can be a rapid task force to like any point in prague like i don't know how big prague is but that's a lot of people potentially what is this sensor gadget gizmo thing that they set on top of the disc drive i don't know whether it's like a radio frequency meter or whether it's like like a thermometer? Uh, yeah, something between one of the two. I think thermometer because she mentions how that could just be the hard drive heating it up. It could just be the hard drive heating up. Yeah, but I'm sorry. Do signals tend to affect temperature that much? I don't think so. Me either. <laughs> just never understood what the fuck this device was supposed to be. The numbers on it are super important. 22, 23, everything's fine. 30 doesn't mean it's a signal. And then they get in the 40s and... Fuck, you gotta watch out. Yep. So Check Fabio goes out onto a balcony to look around, and he notices that the cars are not are very suspicious around there. There's some suspicious vehicles. And he's right, because a van with a bunch of guys in white coats parks out front and goes inside. Yeah, lab-coated scientists from Goldeneye. And it's the same team! Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice. Is it? It's the dude who was the waiter behind Hannah, the drunk Russian guy. Like, it's the same team from the embassy and the restaurant. But it now it has Kitty. Kitty's with him, too, yeah. But also Dale Dye, the, the old white-haired dude. Like, so... Dale Dye, you have seen this guy before. He is an actual Vietnam veteran, and he is basically the dude who created the military advisor profession in Hollywood. You'll see him in Platoon. He was in Saving Private Ryan. He was in the scene where Brian Cranston brings the letter to General George Marshall about what happened with the Ryan brothers. And he's in Band of Brothers. He's the hard-ass general in the first episode. So... You have seen this guy before. It was really stunning to see him not as a military guy. All I know is that he's not in Baywatch, and Hoff was a former SEAL before becoming a lifeguard, so, you know, suck it, Mission Impossible. (laughs) So they come into this really fancy, ornate apartment that Max has been hiding out in, and they look around, and Max and the crew with Tom Cruise have already escaped. Yeah, how the fuck did they yeet out of there? The power of movies. So they look around... Dale Dye is like, yo, I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to check police. We'll do this. And Kitty's like, no, dude, we trained this guy way too well. He can slip in and out of customs super easily. You'll never find him. What we got to do is we got to get him to come to us. We got to find a pressure point. How did that little spiel not begin with, as you know? <laughs> so in Max's car, uh, she apologizes for doubting him. And again, it's such a flirtation. Like, I'm so sorry for doubting you, dear boy. And basically because Job screwed her didn't give her the actual knock list the deal's off with him so she's gonna make a new deal with tom cruise and he's like look i will get you the knock list and she's like no but i want the whole knock list not just eastern europe i want all of it i don't want to get this piecemeal and he's like cool give me 10 million dollars in bear bonds and you just got to invite job to the trade-off 
this is where she really turns up the floor. I thought they were going to start like fucking in this car the way she <laughs> getting flirty with them. Ooh, she gets flirty. It's possible they cut away before that happened. Tom Cruise is actually on set, cuts it. He's like, all right, everyone, go home. Vanessa and I are just going to hang out in the back of this car for a bit. I also wanted to note that, oh, how currency has fallen. Six to ten million dollars was a lot of money back then. God, wasn't it? <laughs> That's like a hundred million dollars today, probably. It's still a lot if you're in the IE. Hey, if you're willing to live in the Implant Empire, yeah, fucking, I don't know, man. I feel like my my bank account, I could probably be pimping in the Inland Empire. Uh, depends on which area. <laughs> Back at the safe house that definitely hasn't been compromised, uh, he tells Claire about the deal. Yes, they're still safe. They're still somehow safe in this safe house. Tells Claire about the deal, the plan, and she is in. Uh, she can't really go anywhere, as he said, because, you know, if she's not dead, she's with him. And he has his stack of American dollars that Max just had on her? I mean, he needs a little spending money to, to do the operation. It's probably in advance. Right. So they're walking around with hundreds of thousands of U.S. dollars in the Czech Republic. Okay, cool. Sure. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I don't see I don't see why that's hard. It's the greatest currency in the world. That's why. America. And this scene, I think it's in this scene. So taking stock of the equipment as she's like telling him that he's in. She's like, okay, look, we've got 150 bullets for the Beretta and we've got 20 bullets for the SIG. And no, you have 170 bullets for both because I looked at the, the models on the Internet <laughs> Movie Fire database. They are both nine millimeters. So you have two pistols and 170 rounds of ammunition. Jesus Christ. It's not like, I don't know, video game where like different guns have different bullets. I don't know. It's like if you're used to having a shit ton of different cables because like apple products are all different but they're actually talking about samsung and verizon and windows and you can use the same micro usb for every single <laughs> goddamn one yes they're gonna need help though they can't just go steal the knockless by themselves so tom cruise casually logs on to the imf's disavowed list how are they not immediately swarmed i know but I also love the fade here because it implies that this train is also disavowed. <laughs> <laughs> My note was, is Ethan accessing the knock list? It's the disavowed version. <laughs> this is the one that anyone's allowed to access if they need, you know, rogue and untrustworthy agents. So clearly this was going to be Ethan's penalty if they took him back to Langley. Because if they have a whole list of people who are at large, <laughs> they don't work with anymore. IMF is clearly really poor at picking up their disavowed agents. Apparently. No, they just had to take him back to the States for a stern talking to <laughs> and hand him his termination papers and severance. Clearly. No wonder Job got away with so much that leaving disavowed agents left, right, and center. <laughs> Well, anyways, before we fade to that train that John mentioned, we are going to go take a quick break, and then we're going to start breaking down the fun parts of the movie. Don't go away. <laughs> All right, fresh out of the oven. <sighs> it took 30 minutes to whip up those egg whites, but a lovely angel food cake is ready. Good job, Jules. Another successful bake. What the hell is Nick? Ah, uh, crap, you're home. What the hell are you doing? Uh, coming down through your vents like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible to steal your cake? But, but why? I've always given you cake when you've asked for it. Also, how are you even rappelling down like this? The vents of my house are barely big enough for a squirrel. Uh, I'm not gonna tell you that, because you're gonna be very upset by the answer. 
Oh, for fuck's sake. It's John with you. Hey, hey, you get the cake yet? Nah, Jules is still here. Uh, we're toast. Damn it. Yeah, guess there's no point in holding this rope any longer. Wait, 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 no! Ah, my femurs. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, oh that was a surprisingly oh. easy jump down from there. <laughs> we didn't have to mess with these ropes or anything, man. Okay, that's enough. Both of you take your rope, your broken femurs, and your squirrel costume and get out. Come on. Uh, can we can we take some cake with us, at least? Not a chance. Not a chance. Hey, come on, man. I came all the way from the Inland Empire. Out. Ah, stop touching my femurs. <laughs> I'm touching my femurs. And we're back, and so we have now fully faded onto the train, and we're going to meet the agents that Tom Cruise has picked off of the disavowed list. All two of them! Jean Renault and Vig Rames. Yeah, he picked, I mean, they're, they're probably the only two he could afford. Well, they did have to be local. Yeah, they didn't have time. They'd have to be local. There's no time. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to say how happy I was when I saw Ving Rames and Jean Renault. That that is all. Yeah, like what other reaction are you supposed to have to seeing Jean Renault and Ving Rames? And they arrive in a really well-constructed scene where (laughs) where the the build to what they have to do is really fun tells them like they got a job they got to steal something and they got to steal some information and uh then he drops we're gonna go ahead and steal the knock list from langley and- no he doesn't say knock list he says that they're gonna steal information from langley from the vault basically jean renault and ving rames tell him to get the fuck out because there's no way that's gonna happen and then that's where we launch into the setup where it's much worse than you think <laughs> i know it's so good <laughs> Yes. So basically, yeah. So Jarrodo, when he hears that they're going to break it a leg, he's like, oh, cool. Hey, how about this? You know, since we're going to Virginia, uh, why don't we take a helicopter and just fly it right into the lobby at Fort Knox? And the reason, John Renault, is because Fort Knox is in Kentucky. That's why you're not going to do that. Oh, why don't people from other countries know American geography? God. They should. They watch our movies and TV shows. That said, sarcastic Jean Renault is amazing. He is great. <laughs> no, it is amazing. He played it well. And when they talk about equipment, they were talking about the AI risk chip, at which point I swear Mr. DNA popped oh up in God. my head and said, Thinking machine <laughs> supercomputer. <laughs> yes, that's even that. Oh my god, Mr. DNA. And then I'm like just playing with my reflection. I don't even realize I'm there. Hello, John. Hello, John. <laughs> Hello, John. <laughs> <laughs> So basically to get Vig Rabes on board, because Vig Rabes is a hacker, Tom Cruise has to like flatter him about his abilities. Like, come on, man. You're the guy who broke into NATO's ex- whatever files. Ghost Cobb. Ghost Cobb. He's like, yay, there's no physical evidence that I did that. Beautiful piece of work. Vig rules. <laughs> <laughs> and he has some fucking bomb turtlenecks in this movie. I am not a fan of turtlenecks, but... My God, does he wear the shit out of him? I am a fan of turtlenecks on Ving Rames. Yes, on Ving Rames, absolutely. <laughs> so basically, Jean Renault's got to get Ving Rames' equipment for him, and that's when he 
asks for the thinking machine supercomputers, <laughs> artificial intelligence risk chips. And he's like, yeah, but I get to keep them when we're done, right? Yeah. And so he's like, cool. So uh, this sounds like it's going to be really fucking hard because Ving Rhames points out that there's no modem access to the mainframe in Langley. He would physically need to be next to the terminal. And that's when he's like, yeah, no, it's actually worse than that because the countermeasures are bananas. You got to have voice recognition. There's a code. And then you got to have dual card access on the room on the inside. And we don't have a card like that. And then you got to do a retinal scan and that deactivates the countermeasures in the vault. And those are fucking nuts because it's got to be 72 degrees, one degree hotter, and you're going to set off the alarm. And when it gets to the scene, it's every single one of these countermeasures is acknowledged. Sound, temperature, pressure, just everything that goes through it is wonderfully constructed. And the access and, you know, the thing that's keeping the vault cool is this air conditioner and the vent to that is all the way up there, 30 feet above the floor, and it's got lasers. They're all state-of-the-art. How state-of-the-art, including this pressure sensor on the ground, we watch a drop of condensation from the technician's cup fall onto the ground and set off an alarm. I have two things. If I ever have a keypad access lock, there definitely needs to be an additional row at the bottom so that I can have Sigma, Infinity, and Omega as part of my codes. (laughs) Yes, those are the keypad. Secondly, while it seems they thought of everything to keep this incredibly sensitive information secure there are no cameras yeah i understand the terminal has some classified shit but pointed at the door i was more weirded out that they call this the black vault when it is clearly white (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's a greenland iceland sort of scenario yeah ironic names (laughs) yeah and so they ask Tom Cruise, hey, so based on that, do you think we can do it? And Tom Cruise is like, we're going to do it. And the music kicks in. Exactly. After the the boring first mission, I am on board for the rest of the movie. The rest of the movie is fucking rad. Starting here. That theme music gets you pumped as fuck. To do your taxes, just play the Mission Impossible theme song. You will do the fuck out of your taxes. To do anything. Tell your family you love them. <laughs> <laughs> John, is that a is that an impossible mission for you? Is that <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> Anytime you need to spend more than fifteen minutes with your nephews and nieces, the music. Eh, it depends on how much of assholes they're being. Sometimes I can last part of an afternoon. A whole part, you say. <laughs> a whole part. So yeah, the Mission Impossible theme plays as we see Langley in the distance, and somehow Claire, Tom Cruise, Vig Rames, and John Renault have gotten themselves onto a fire truck crew that is responding to an emergency there. Except they haven't rung the alarm yet. Uh, there's some alarms. Yes. My god, I laugh my ass off so hard at this entire exchange. This is so contrived. They go inside and they need to get to sector 21 where the air conditioning unit is. And it's like, yeah, you can't go to the sector unless there's an alarm going off. Then Ving Rames, he's like, hacks something from the, the fire truck and the alarm starts going off. Like, oh, well, I guess uh, it's going off now. Let's go. <laughs> Ving Rames is clearly better at his job than Jack. Yeah. And at least Ving Rames was able to make the point that to do the major bit of hacking, he needs to be inside. Like, he made that known. We still don't know why the fuck Emilio had to be sitting on that elevator. So they run in, and Claire is one of the firemen, fire people. But while they're running down the hallway, she just ducks into a closet. 
and it's just Jean Reno and Tom Cruise running down with the security guard. And then to not stick out, to kind of blend in, uh, she comes out in a red suit. And as she walks by a hallway, there's one guy who noticeably checks her out. Leaning to the side. If he had yelled a wooga, <laughs> it would not have been out of place with the rest of his reaction. His face turns into a cartoon wolf. <laughs> it wouldn't be a 90s movie without at least one moment of objectifying women. It is balanced because Tom Cruise gets a lot more objectifying too, but still. Yeah, Vanessa Redgraves makes it pretty damn clear she would fuck the shit out of him throughout. So they get into the air conditioning room, and this is when the security guard's like, hey, weren't there three of you guys? And Tom Cruise just kicks him, <laughs> because that's the only appropriate response. Well, he already had his mask off. He did. And so Krieger... John Renault. John Renault's character's name is Krieger. John Renault's just ready to straight up murder this dude. Yeah, he pulls out a knife and he's about to like stab him, and then Tom Cruise has to pen his hand to the wall and be like, Krieger, nobody. Count. This is the same knife that was used to stab Hannah. Sarah. Yes. And he left it behind. And apparently he went to the store to get the exact same model to use on a mission with the guy who came across his knife. It's called brand loyalty, Jules. It's not that he chooses it, it's that he chooses it for a mission with Ethan, is the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> I have a feeling that he just buys in bulk. It's what he has. He already has to go and get V Rames' Mr. DNA equipment. You think he's going to have time to swing by the knife store too? Come on. Yeah, and also like considering how many people he stabs and just leaves the knife behind. Like, Seriously. You know, like he can't, he's not going to buy the good ones. He, he does need to buy them in bulk. Just different look. That's all I are. A different look. Just, just, I don't know, paint one of them purple or something. A purple knife. I agree. Krieger's not the type. I mean, I, I, I see your point, and I agree with it, but Krieger's not the type. Question. Jean Renault, notorious Frenchman, this character, clearly a Frenchman. Why does he have the most German of last names? <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to put this as delicately as I can. At some point in history, Germans crossed into France, and there is a chance that several of them stayed. Okay, look, I don't know when in history Germany has ever gone to France. That doesn't, <laughs> oh, that doesn't, seem, plausi doesn't seem plausible at all. They're so far apart. I mean, it's not like the Himalayas and the Alps. <laughs> well, and yes. also, the Germans and the French have historically gotten along famously, so I don't know. Besties, yes. Besties. Napoleonic Wars, what were those? Um, that was which of the three flavors of ice cream is better, and they came to a truce and put them all in one carton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's not Neapolitan ice cream, it's Napoleon ice cream. I think I'm done on that one. I think I'm out. I'm good. God's like, I've done my bit for the, for the podcast. There's no Baywatch in this episode, so I had to have something else to go out on. There you go. Still need to go to hell, though, so I guess I'll kick around. We got time. So Claire sits down next to the mainframe technician who's like having a coffee break in the break room and sits suspiciously close to this guy. Like, look, she's a hottie and he's not. He's not. The table is open. She could have sat on the other side of the table. She just sits right next to him and just sprays something in his coffee out of her pen. More coffee. We've already established that she's so bad her coffee is clear. She squirted Claire coffee 
into his coffee, it all comes around. It all fits together. It's a very well-constructed film. And this is also the moment at which she puts a bug on his jacket, just like Jean Reno did in Godzilla. I, I'm starting to think these two movies are linked. This is a far less conspicuous Far bug. less conspicuous, I will give you. But nevertheless, she does another Jean Reno movie where... Yeah, it's a very small little cloth-looking square. It, it blends into the outfit a lot better. Which this somehow activates the the bug that she planted because Ving Rhames can track the dude now. Yeah, it's light stroke activated. She lightly strokes her finger down the back and that's what activates the bug. Like, what? what's so hard? Okay, cool. No, <laughs> I just find Ving Rhames' high there absolutely delightful. Oh, me too. It is and great. I also wanted to point out that this moment of CIA theft is brought to you by the Washington Post. The Washington Post. Jeff Bezos owns us now and we are billionaire propaganda. While she's doing this in the break room, we are building up to the famous dropping from the ceiling scene. So Tom Cruise puts on his camera glasses and he uses suction cups to get up into the vents. Ah, yes. The tried and true, incredibly spacious and incredibly silent air duct sneak sequence. I mean, considering how small Tom Cruise is rumored to be, this could probably work out. But again, the silence. Uh, Tom Cruise is a practitioner of silentology, so... uh... Yeah, but he's got Jean Reno in tow. (laughs) That is true. Would you call uh, the vent crawl a cliche at this point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I felt so. And again, the fact that you're able to sneak through those goddamn things that are made out of sheet metal, (laughs) they would be noisy (laughs) as fuck. This is not a practical way to get through a facility. And they have a magical stop laser device, which is magic. It looks like it's a containment unit for the laser. Yeah, it like uses mirrors to, I guess, complete the circuit without setting it off. I don't know, man. And then this device is crazy. By the way, this device does not make sense, but I would love if this was a real thing. Yes. Oh my God. This is a life-changing gadget. Pokes a magnet tube that flicks up and it, yeah, through the power of magnets, magnets, how do they work? (laughs) Unscrews the screws of the vent cover and then it, you know, sucks it into the, the device. And it's got a little tray to catch it too. Yeah. It's amazing. I would love to have one of these. But it wouldn't work. The way the forces work, this is just a magic unscrew button that looks cool. Let us have this one thing, Jules. Let us have I'll take a magic unscrew button. That's cool. Yes. I just, I'm enjoying the fact that this sort of gritty thriller has both lasers and magnets somehow without being science fiction. (laughs) Um... Those are both things that actually exist. No, I know, but it's just the way it's (laughs) bypassed and the way it's unscrewed. It just doesn't scientifically make any sense. So then Tom Cruise tests a sound meter on his arm. I get, you know, test one, two, three, and then says toast really loud because toast is a thing. That that is code for being too loud, apparently. Like, you're done. You're toast. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, but then Krieger almost sets off the alarm by sneezing, and then Tucker's like, hey, Krieger, from this point, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Just There is something ridiculously endearing about the way that Jean Reno itches his nose immediately after that. <laughs> it's true. There's, it's just somehow adorable, and I don't know how he pulls it off. Honestly, this, this subsequent sequence that we're going through is done so well, I couldn't help just looking away from my notes and just enjoying it. It's so well built. Everything from sound temperature, the technician going different directions, the pressure, the harness holding, the sneezing, the rat killing, the 
just like the fact that there's no music. Yes, that was my big thing. They really leaned into the no sound thing in that there's no ambient music or anything. It it just helps that tension so much. Exactly. And just going the, from the different cuts, every cut is a Hitchcockian bomb under the table and suspense. And I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Where the fuck was this at the beginning of the, of the you know, the first mission? So basically, this was such a taut, tense scene. Like, I think it bears worth, like, kind of going through through the beats. Oh, absolutely. Nah, you know it. It's the scene from Mission Impossible. They know it. Yeah, they know the scene. Yeah, he gets dropped down on a plane. The guy comes in the first time. He has to, like, go back up. He hides above. And there's just amazing moment of tension where, like, Tom Cruise is just hanging there. And if this guy looks up, he's totally fucked. This is where I noticed the lack of cameras. This is where it really stuck out to me. <laughs> yeah, because if there was, like, one camera in there. Anywhere in that fucking room yeah this is done <laughs> so yeah because claire puts him over coffee in this guy's coffee he throws up violently <laughs> into the trash can you almost made me spit out my bathroom tea <laughs> yeah this guy just leaves a big pile of the inland empire in the <laughs> 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 and this was despite the fact that he tried tubs he, he gets tubs out of his like metal briefcase yeah apparently it's a common thing for him he's got a little ibs there maybe well ibs a little acid reflux in his life Yeah, probably more acid reflux but yeah he just puked and takes his bucket out with him which is courteous of him well yeah you don't want your own workspace getting smelled up like that you're gonna be getting sick all day so he takes it to the bathroom. He's going to do some puking in there. He's got a back and forth montage of upset stomach. Yeah, no, it's it's going to go back and forth for a bit. Tom Cruise puts a device over the computer. Vig Rabes just straight up gives him the password. I guess Vig Rabes has already either hacked it or he was just watching the guy put in his password. Here's my thing. He's still in the fire truck. Yeah. Yeah. So what's he connected to if there's no outside access? Ethan. Oh, because of the device being specifically placed on there, and then Mr. DNA was instantly able to pull the password. Okay, right. gotcha. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay, okay, okay. And so a rat comes into the vent where Jean Reno is. And Jean Reno is sort of just like doing his best to ignore the rat. Feels like he needs to drop Tom Cruise, crush it, and then grab Tom Cruise again at the last minute. And that's where we get the iconic him just like hovering above the floor, waving his arms to maintain balance and not touch the ground. It's one of the most famous sequences of shit going wrong in movie history. Yep. Okay, speaking of shit going wrong, Tom Cruise kept hitting his face. Oh, is that right? Really? He kept face planting. <laughs> <laughs> and they solved this by putting rolls of coins in his shoes to help balance him out. Oh, so he was tipping forward. He was tipping forward and hitting the ground. And they balanced oh. him out by putting some rolls of coins in his shoes. That's amazing. <laughs> Crazy. Well, yeah, anyway, so he grabs him and we see the dead rat and Tom Cruise has to grab a bead of sweat before it hits the ground. I love this. The only thing is that Bing Rames acts like he sees this droplet when the droplet was on the corner of the glasses. Exactly. This was my we'll come back to it moment specifying that the camera is in the bridge of the glasses. Exactly. Thank you, sir. <laughs> But uh, also the fact that Ethan catching it clearly threw him off balance. He, uh, he hit the floor, the alarm went off, and he was captured. And the movie ended there. It was a very odd ending. <laughs> yeah, because he would have to get his hand under his face. Exactly. 
and back out without touching the floor. And that was a very loud water smacking glove noise as well. I think toast. <laughs> it's definitely a toast. I think this water set off the toast. <laughs> There's a sentence you do not hear that often. Well, anyways, Big Rabes tells him that the guy's coming in, so John Renault has to pull Tom Cruise up. However, the rope is scraping against the side of the entrance, and... He fucked up the rig when he went to kill the rat. Sounds, temperature, everything's starting to fall apart. Starting to go wrong, yep. We're getting toasty in more ways than one. So he pulls Tom Cruise up just in time. Uh, he gives John Renault the disc. But for some reason, John Renault has his knife out. I assumed he used his knife to kill the rat. Possibly. I always assume that too. It's unclear. You just kind of see him flail about. It kind of looks like he's choking on some gum or something. He's like, <laughs> as the rat's walking towards him. It's weird. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, he drops his knife. So they leave a nice little present. It's a beautiful closing to that. After all the precision, everything goes wrong and just ends with a knife slamming into the table. <laughs> but it slams just as the guy opens the door and deactivates the countermeasures, like the split second before. Oh, man. So good. So good. I do take slight issue with the technician going back to work after hurling like that. You would go home sick, surely. Just a spontaneous vomiting. You wouldn't just go straight back to work. Well, maybe he's going to go back and like log out or like set it to a place where he can go home. Who knows? Okay, fair enough. So he sees the knife. He looks up. The cover's back. The lasers are back. So like, where the fuck did this knife come from? And then he logs onto the computer. The computer just really lets us know for plot reasons, very nice of it, that there was a download. Something got downloaded. There was a keystroke log. Yep. A little confirmation message. Tom Cruise didn't have time to hit OK or the little X or whatever. You know, he had to get the fuck out of there. And so Tom Cruise throws a smoke grenade into the vents to trigger off a fire alarm. So everyone evacuates, they get out, and they drive away in the fire truck. Okay, so an alarm sounded at this building. They took however long to get there, and then a decent amount of time for this mission to go off. And now smoke starts appearing? Well, I don't know. Yeah. It's a weird fire, that's all I'm saying. Very, very weird fire. <laughs> it's suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> And so they're driving away in the fire truck, and John Renault is the facial expression as he drives his fire truck. It's like he's thinking about the wank he's going to have <laughs> when he gets back oh, home. Evil John Renault is fantastic. I love him. I think he just gets to unpackage a new knife. That's what he lives for. <laughs> he's got one of those unboxing channels. <laughs> it's always the same product. All right, <laughs> uh, guys, very exciting. I have the uh, Bushmaster Model 9 knife. Let's see what it's like. I've done this 20 times, but I'm very excited. Maybe it's something different. As longtime viewers will recognize, it is all black. <laughs> <laughs> It's got the serrations right here. I've been leaving it all over the place. I stabbed a person in Prague and left it there. I left one in Langley and I'm going to have plenty more. <laughs> yes. There's little tiny QR codes etched into the blade so that it's actually fans and subscribers are supposed to find them and then get rewards. <laughs> Very ahead of his time. I mean, he can acquire Mr. DNA computers in the mid-90s. <laughs> <laughs> Back at uh, Langley, I guess the guy who was puking, the mainframe tech, told Kitty about what happened. 
Kitty rewards him by shipping him off to Alaska. <laughs> I love the line. What he says is, I want him manning a radar tower in Alaska by the end of the day. Just mail him his clothes. It's such a superb line. Oh my God. So evil. I love it. My note is what John and Nick say to me after every going to hell joke. Somehow ended up in the script of this movie. <laughs> We've tried so hard, audience. We've tried so hard. <laughs> the thing is, I would love to get sent to Alaska, and you don't even have to send me any clothes. I love the cold. <laughs> I even <really> got naked. <laughs> <laughs> naked and not afraid. That's <laughs> a dating profile. <laughs> naked and not afraid, but you might be. <laughs> uh, grinder horror stories. <laughs> So now we're in London, and I'm pretty sure this exterior shot was filmed on the Warner back lot. It just looks very similar to the, ironically, the New York exterior set in at Warner Brothers. Uh, I could be wrong. The but soccer it like commentary it. is accurate. That made me smile. They talked about Alan Shearer at Blackburn, and that threw me right back to my childhood. I know you guys don't give a shit about that, so. I didn't note anything about any ludicrous displays, so. Yeah. <laughs> Although, coincidentally, that was the last time Nottingham Forest were in the Premiership until literally this year. I'm sure one of our listeners is super fascinated by that. No, I'm just talking about the coincidence of the fact that this movie was released at the time when Nottingham Forest were last in the Premiership and literally the, the year we're recording. The year we're recording is exactly there. They're back. Exactly back, yeah. So you're saying that Nottingham Forest is once again filled with merry men? Ah! Of course. <laughs> Manly men. Men in tights. Tight tights. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so they're in their safe house, and it's it's clearly an abandoned uh, travel agency because there's just pamphlets for different countries strewn around. Tom Cruise is emailing Max again, and this is where he updates uh, the email address to Max at Job 315 as opposed to Max at Job 314, which is what he used earlier. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So Jean Renault, who's been drinking because French guy, uh, demands that he's a part of the exchange, the knock list for the money. Tom Cruise is like, look, Max doesn't work that way, you know, not like that. Jean Renault pulls out a disc and he's like, look, I got the knock list so the exchange can't happen without me. And Tom Cruise is like, are you sure about that? And then we get like two solid minutes of Tom Cruise doing sleight of hand magic. Which he actually did. Yeah, which I'm sure he actually did. But he's like, look, I had two dicks. I you gave you dicks. the... <laughs> 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 I said two dicks. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh yes so please continue tom cruise is explaining his um dual penile nature <laughs> yes his discs and or dicks pick your favorite version of what i said here tom cruise does sleight of hand dick magic is still sleight of hand with his two dicks yes <laughs> <laughs> i know how do we keep ending up in perfect places <laughs> <laughs> oh, ridiculous oh god anyways basically says look i gave you a fake disc i didn't give you the real knock list and then you know jean is like pissed and he throws the disc into a trash can and he's like you pull that sleight of hand shit with my money i'll slit your throat so in the middle of this the bible that tom cruise had been using like has fallen on the floor and he picks it up but he looks inside the cover and there's a stamp in there that says placed in the drake hotel by the gideons i don't know if they did this in the 90s but i have three gideons 
Canadians Bibles and there are no fucking stamps. Why are you stealing Bibles? First of all, uh, you're supposed to take them. That's how you justify it? No, really. That was the idea. They're going to plant them and you're supposed to pick them up and take them and then they'll provide new ones to help spread the word. You are allowed to take the Bibbles, and if you stare at a Marriott, you can take the... I think they have Books of Mormon. There's there's no Bibble in there. The remote, the towels, the bed. If you're at a Marriott, you can take whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just check in with an empty suitcase, leave with a full one. <laughs> <laughs> Millennial Rewind endorses thieves stealing from hotels. But leave the Bibble behind. <laughs> leave the Bibble. They come in to do housekeeping, and there's just a Bibble in the middle of the floor. <laughs> there's no sheets there's no there's some exposed wires from the from the light fixtures above where the bed used to be (laughs) just the bible just the bible yeah uh Back to the Bible and or Bibble, he remembers in voiceover flashback that John Voight had stayed at the Drake in Chicago when they were in Kiev. So he's like, that's his Bibble. He brought it from there and he's using it as inspiration for uh, espionage shenanigans, apparently. So Claire apologizes to Tom Cruise because she saw all this the, the, the scuffle happens. Like, look, Jean Renault, bring him on. It was my call. And they give each other way too intimate a kiss on the cheek for a recent widow. As far as we know, she like Yeah. Yeah. So she goes to get some sleep, and his reaction is fucking creepy man because he takes the part of the cheek where she kissed him and he wipes it onto his lips really weird i have never noticed that but that would be very unsettling yes it was very unsettling to watch so tom cruise goes over you know this is where he gets the disc out of the trash can it turns out john renault did have the knock list he just kind of you know bluffed his way into having him give it Gives it to Ving Rames, who's just throughout this entire thing been quietly doing tech stuff in the corner. He's been carefully removing the AI risk chip so he can actually create a robot. He's making his own HAL 9000. So he tries to give Ving Rames the list. Uh, and he's like, look, just prevent this from getting out. And Ving Rhames is like, why do you trust me? And he's like, because if you knew what was going to happen next, you would not want to take this from me. Uh, No, I always took the response because he says, if you knew what you were getting into, you never would have done it. So if if he had revealed on the train that they were going for the knock list, Ving Rhames would have been out. Got it, got it, got it, got it. So he picks up a Nokia and he's like, hey, what's the range on this? And he's, he says, like, look, not not very far. I'm going to have to be really close to them. And uh, I'm pretty sure the range on those cell phones was a smidge further and what they're making them out to be. Well, it's for the job that he's rigged it up to do. OK. But to this, I say you are the tech expert. You should know the range. <laughs> this isn't uh, not very far. It's tough to say. Gotta be close? That's his response. It's tough to say. Is it five feet, ten feet, six meters? What? Come on, man. Yeah, I'm sure you could, like, measure it. Yeah. It's a jamming device. You could take a device that it could jam and just kind of test out the range and see how far away you are. It's, like, not hard. Mm-hmm. But anyways, this tech check gets interrupted by Claire, who calls Tom Cruise over into the next room because uh, he's got to see this. This makes no sense. Yes, because apparently his mother and his uncle were arrested for doing a Breaking Bad and manufacturing (laughs) drugs. Well, that makes perfect sense. What doesn't make sense is this is the cliche of the TV is on and it, of course, pertains to you. Exactly. However, she calls him into the room because he's got to see this. And after he walks in, the story begins. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And it's an English newscaster talking about an American drug dealer. I mean, they try to make it somewhat topical because it's international, but there's no connection with England. That's not how English news works. <laughs> Jules, don't you realize that the entire world is obsessed with America? <laughs> I mean, having grown up in another country, it kind of is. We're number one. Yeah, and also, look, when bullshit happens in the former colony, it's more and more proof that we shouldn't have let them go, shouldn't have let them win the Revolutionary War. They would have been way better under the crown. Yeah, so really, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Individually, your fault. All I know is if we'd stayed a colony, we would have a national health care system. That's the, the only reason why system I'm... Shit. <laughs> All I know is that Nick would understand the glory of bathroom tea. I would, I would also understand the glory of bathroom tea. <laughs> well, anyways, Tom Cruise is pissed that his mom and uncle got arrested for drugs, and so he storms across the street to a train station to make a call on a public phone, and oh god, you remember public phones? Some of them took I coins, and the other ones took phone cards. I had a phone card no. for my no you didn't have phone cards back in the days that i remember public phones we don't have phone cards no just coins we did in england yep i had a phone card in south africa the phone at my elementary school was a phone card phone so i was very excited to get my own phone card so i could call home yeah us too yeah that was the thing so anyways he calls kitty about what happened <laughs> and kitty is trying to keep him on the phone long enough so they can trace his exact location but tom cruise only stays on under 30 seconds and so they only can only trace him to london not exactly where in london yeah he was watching the clock why is he basically projecting that he is a sociopath to the guy he's basically saying what do you think a guy who's you know slaughtered his own team in this way is going to feel when he sees that he's taunting him if, if i am as ruthless and cold-blooded as you think i am then why would i care yeah yeah basically then dramatic reveal of john voigt in his best inspector clouseau outfit <laughs> It's a wonderful reveal. It's a great reveal because Tom Cruise like actually like feels him up because he hallucinated him early. He's like, oh, fuck, is he real? And oh, shit, this is the real John Voight. <laughs> and he says to Tom Cruise, you're a hard man to catch up with. Especially after you've been shot in the stomach and dumped in a river. Yeah. And as we'll hear, he, I, I don't think he's been to a hospital. No. <laughs> he walked off a gut shot. And it is unclear how much time has passed. <laughs> Very unclear. So John Voight explains that when he got back to the safe house the next morning, he started tracking their aliases. So he saw that they'd gone to the States, decided to wait for them to come back to Europe. And once they came back to England, it was a lot easier to track him for reasons. And John Voight tells Tom Cruise that the man who shot him was Kitty and that Kitty is the mole. Mm -hmm. At which point we have the reveal of who the actual mole was through flashback. It's a bit of flashback, but it's really awesome because Tom Cruise is piecing together that it's John Voight. Right. And so that's what's spooling through his mind and he's running through the scenarios of how everyone got killed and so now it, it sort of makes sense. Emilio couldn't work the controls. John Voight could, you know, all these different things. But he's talking about it as if it's Kitty doing it. So John Voight is able to see him putting the pieces together, but talking about something that's different than what he's thinking about. It's It works so it well. Does. It does. And I very much like it. The only issue I have is the reveal afterwards is treated like that's the moment where you figure it out. Yeah, this moment gets undermined. It's a great moment that the movie undermines later. Really? I think so. Yeah, and also in the flashbacks, he's realizing that John Renault was a part of it because the knife that's 
stabbed Sarah in the knife that was in John Renault's hand at Langley. Yeah. Because he's collecting them. No, he's abandoning them. So Tom Cruise, like, like having had pieces all together, asked John Voight, why? You know, superficially about, like, why Kitty be a mole, but really he's kind of asking him, why would you yeah. do it? And the motivation is a complete cliche. Right, because the motivation is essentially, well, you know, during the Cold War, spies pretty much had a blank check to do what the fuck ever. And then after the Cold War fell, the president decided that he was in charge again, the motherfucker. It's not like those those great motivations like in Double Indemnity, where it's like for the challenge of it or, you know, something a little more intriguing. It's just disillusioned spy. Yeah, stuck in a failing marriage uh, to a woman half your age, by the way, <laughs> and only $62,000 a year. That was the weirdest part for me was the salary. Because $62,000 was probably a decent chunk of change in 1996. Uh, but for that kind of work? Fair, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, really strange. So John Voight says, look, we're going to go after Kitty. But no need because he's got something that Kitty wants, which is the knockless. So Kitty's going to come to them. Tells John Voight about the plan to hand off the list to Max, and he's going to finally learn who Job is. Why does he tell John Voight about his plan, after considering he knows he's the mole? He, he's trying to lure him in. That's fair enough. There is a there's too much at stake cliche here. Don't tell my wife I'm alive. There's too much at stake. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is like when he signaled to Tom Cruise that, by the way, my wife's in on it. No, this is when it's still uncertain. I think he's saying that like this is where Tom Cruise started to pick up on. Well, it was part of his it was part of his piecing it together flashback because it was her blowing up the car with Hannah or John Voight crawling out of the river. It could have gone either way. It was the one thing he was uncertain of. Right. So anyways, he says, like, hey, go to the safe house when I'm done, crash, and I'll, I'll see you when I get back from Paris. So Tom Cruise goes back to the safe house and messages Max, because it's on, motherfucker, and then tells Claire, who's, like, lying in a corner in a sleeping bag, and then she tells him to come over and then wipes her face with his hand and then kisses it. They apparently fuck. Do they? The resolution in the train has always led me to believe that they did. Well, anyways, we see a helicopter the next morning landing near London Bridge. Uh, Kitty and Dale die. Get out. This seems like a, a waste of a budget because they, they got a helicopter in front of Tower Bridge. This shot must have cost a fortune. <laughs> That's why they only get paid 62000 a year. Uh, of course. <laughs> So yeah, some MI5 guy gives them tickets on the TGV to Paris and a watch. Yep, gets an Apple Watch. Oh, this is where he gets the Apple Watch, because clearly the plan that we're going to discuss later has already come into effect. Yeah, it's a very simple note from Tom Cruise telling him where to be and what time, a couple tickets, and a watch. You got some really good bad ADR to him. Yeah, to travel 20, 25 minutes in 10. Yep. Kitty says you've got 10 minutes, and he might as well have been saying you've got Zen peanuts. <laughs> or two penises. It's kind of maybe Zvi penises. Zvi <laughs> <Spy> penises. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, how long is it going to take to get to London Terminus? About 20, 25 minutes. You have 10. Okay, but it's that's just, that's how long it takes. I There's can't... no time. <laughs> and then we get the most dramatic train in movie history. <laughs> Goddamn right we do. Yeah. I mean, at the time, it was the most dramatic train, sure. So, uh, presumably, John Voight is doing spy stuff in a cabin, including, like, throughout this whole sequence, putting a Derringer together. I never understood why they're trying to keep that a secret. That's the point I was making. they acting like Job is on the train, and you don't know who Job is, but we do. So why are they hiding his face? 
Yeah, we do know. I guess my uh, confusion earlier was I never thought of that as a reveal later. I was just always confused why they were hiding him here. The bigger reveal was um, Claire's loyalty. Yeah, exactly. Unless it was going to turn out to be Kittredge. Or check Fabio. Earn, earning a double paycheck the whole time. Never trust check Fabio. <laughs> Well, anyways, Tom Cruise calls Max, who's on the train with her crony, and tells her to look under the seat, and that's where the disc is. She sees the disc and just pops it into his computer. After their first experience with a disc like this, doesn't, you know, bother to check it for a transmission device. She trusts him now. Apparently. She is the worst arms dealer in the world, because after this, she she says uh, the mere possibility is worth 10 million. Do you think she works like that all the time? Like the mere possibility of 200,000 Kalashnikovs is, is worth 10 million? Yeah, that is not how this shit is supposed to work. I think it's for her, it's the mere possibility of a meetup with Tom Cruise again in person, because she uh, still wants to fuck him to death. Okay. Um, all right. Now, I get that she's got business to perform, but I don't understand why it is so incredibly vital for her to upload this information before they hit the channel. Because then it's safely, like, if it gets stolen, if it gets lost, if it, like, whatever, it's, it's, she still has it. They are holding the disc. Right, but they're on a train full of secret agents. Anything could happen. So... Put the fucking computer away to not draw attention to yourself. You're sitting there trying to upload a file. Well, she doesn't know Kittredge is on the train, right? Yeah, she doesn't actually know that, to be fair. Well, also, she gives Tom Cruise the location of the payment. It's in a suitcase, the luggage compartment. And what do you know? The code is 314. Shouldn't it be 316 at this point? I know. Like, we're, we're, we're past 314. That's, that's old news. Seriously. New reading. So they're trying to upload it, but the signal's being jammed because Ving Rhames is nearby with his uh, cell phone jammer. She asks if he's checked the batteries, and I swear I wanted to say, have you tried turning it off and on again? <laughs> right? <laughs> she basically says that because he's like, yeah, I checked the batteries, and she says something like, well, run it all from the top again. She basically tells him to turn it off and back. <laughs> so, Ving Rhames seems Kitty and Dale die on the train, has to leave with his laptop to avoid being suspicious. He also has super hearing because he hears their quiet conversation from outside the train car that he's in. Yes, he does have super duper hearing. So back during the close-up sleight of hand magic tricks and he was picking apart the Mr. DNA computers, clearly integrating the circuits into his own body to enhance his senses. Ah, using magnets. <laughs> yes. How do they work? So because some TGV asshole has to be like super duper nice and considerate, he gives Ving Rhames his phone. He's like, oh, sir, sorry, you dropped your phone. He's like, oh, fuck you. Damn you, English customer service. <laughs> and when he gives his phone, everyone else's phone around him stops working and everyone's. Yeah, as, as he's walking, check Fabio notices that people's stuff is disrupted. So Claire sees Kitty and tells Tom Cruise over the radio that Kitty's on the train and he tells her to meet him in the baggage car at the very tense moment because she walks past Kitty and Dale Die on the way to the baggage car. So Ving Rhames is trying to hide from Kitty and Dale Die in the bathroom. Why does he feel the need to raise his feet off the floor? When Claire slipped by, I thought maybe Kitty recognized her. He calls for Barnes, but Czech Fabio was slamming the door. 
And then as they approached, he slides out of there into the next car. And so that's why Ving Rhames is putting his feet down. Oh, he was bracing. Okay. Yeah, okay. He's, he's relaxing and he's no longer bracing the door. So she goes into the baggage car and there's John Voigt. What? She's been in cahoots with him all along. Hey, this tan trench coat that he was wearing in the train station looks suspiciously familiar to I wonder if it could be the same person building a gun from a radio. <laughs> yeah, you have to say the mask reveal and the first line by Ethan is is pretty fantastic. But he only does it after she basically admits to the fact that they weren't cahoots. He's like, "Look, don't kill Ethan. Please don't kill him. Like, keep him alive. Nobody else knows that you're alive, and they'll never believe him. And let him take the fall for all this." Mm-hmm. But as you were saying, psych. It's Tom Cruise, not John Voight, mask reveal. But then the real John Voight, um, all the other John Voights are just imitating, so will the real John Voight please stand up? (laughs) (laughs) Bursts out of like this cage area with his gun. So he was already back there this whole time watching Tom Cruise impersonate him? (laughs) I guess. Like this is where it really falls apart hard. I like to think he just thought he was looking in a mirror. Oh, my God. Like, he's a confused kitten. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He is the real kitty. But he's not wearing his brown coat anymore. They're not even wearing the same clothes. (laughs) Yeah. The real John Voight's in a tactical gear and a harness with his gun. So that's that's all going on. Um, So it turns out that Tom Cruise knew about John Voight before London. Because of the stamp in the Bible, but he didn't know that Claire was in on it because he fell for her charms, right? John Voight was kind of counting on that because he tasted the goods before. Exactly. This is what leads me to believe they fucked. I was supremely confident having tasted the goods. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, Ethan. Hey, 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 hey. That is the line that's delivered. I take issue with that line because as Max says... Job is not someone who quotes scripture. Well, not in his DMs. <laughs> so uh, she gets the money from Tom Cruise, gets the bear bonds, gives it to John Voight. Uh, however, John Voight allows Tom Cruise to take his glasses out and put them yeah. on. He doesn't get it. I think, I think that's the point. How does he not realize what these are for until they're already on Tom Cruise's face? I think it just takes a moment for it to click. Okay, fair enough. But also, why does he need to put them on? Exactly. We, we've established that they don't need to be put on in order to function. And that's when we see John Voight's face show up on Kitty's Apple Watch because, oh shit, Tom Cruise and Kitty were in on this together. So now it's not just Tom Cruise that's seen John Voight alive. And so that's when John Voight shot Tom Cruise, took the money and ran. Wow, that would be a much more interesting version. For my version of the movie, he inexplicably kills his wife. Yeah. (laughs) Very strange. Literally could not tell you why he kills his wife. So he shoots Claire, knocks Tom Cruise out for a second. He has a second opportunity to kill Tom Cruise with the pistol. Does not take it. He leaves him because we need a climax. Do you think they actually just sort of screwed up the shot? Because I think maybe Claire was supposed to be going for John Voight. You know, she was supposed to be lunging at him, and that's why he shot her first. That would make more sense, but there's 
Yeah, yeah, like a half second of footage that is not present. He just gets upset at being told, don't, Jim, and turns the gun on her. And that still doesn't explain him not shooting Tom Cruise in the head when he knocks him down to the ground. Because there's no time! <laughs> yeah, there's no time. Uh, so after having a very quick set over Claire's body, Tom Cruise goes up onto the roof of the train to uh, hunt down John Voight. Iconic train roof scene. So good. John Voight is crawling belly down using the suction cups to... Uh, get to the end of the train Tom Cruise like takes his jacket off and it flies full like up towards or back depending on your point of view to John Voight and that alerts him to his presence and then Tom Cruise attempts to take him out with his tie (laughs) so John Rose flying behind them in the helicopter John Voight has attached a strap to one of the suction cups so he can like get the clip that's attached to a wire from the helicopter but Tom Cruise just lets himself go, crashes into John Voight, grabs the clip, and clips the helicopter to the train. It's fucking amazing. It's so good. It's so good. And John Renault's expression is just like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. I would have that expression, too, if someone just loudly screamed at me in victory. <laughs> He's just like, yeah. And then uh, John Voight kills him. How? Because we have demonstrated with the jacket the tie, the letting go and sliding at him, that if you're not, like, attached in some way to this train, you're fucking gone, and John Voight kicks him off the side. True. But physics stops for a moment. Yes, physics stops for a moment, and he rolls off the side and assumes a free-fall position. I am gonna say because I, you always do this to me, John, that it's Jean Renault's helicopter motion that blows <laughs> air the opposite way that balances out the pressure from the train moving forward, the momentum. That's what I'm going to go for. <laughs> that is even more stupid because <laughs> as he's leaning forward, the spinning of the rotors from the helicopter would be moving even more air in that same direction to suck Tom Cruise away from the train. <laughs> and that is why I love your explanation so much. <laughs> it is so goddamn ridiculous and nonsensical. It is perfect. <laughs> so John has to fly the helicopter into the tunnel and the connection gets cut, so Max's upload gets cut off. It's just the moment where Jean Reno realizes what he has to do, which is fly his helicopter into the tunnel. Yeah, because he keeps trying to pull away from the train for a little bit first, and he's like, fuck it, I gotta dive. Exactly. He gets his, his fly his helicopter into Fort Knox kind of moment, which is so great. There are a lot of beautiful little foreshadowing moments. Chekhov's expert helicopter piloting skills. Chekhov wrote a lot of things. He wrote a lot of things. So question, so there's there's a trade operator in the back of the train. <laughs> Never happens. There's no train operator on that side whilst the train is moving that direction. You have to be on the lookout for other approaching vehicles. Come on. From behind? When you're going in the other direction? Well, yeah. <laughs> it, it's not like you'd be able to tell in mirrors. Duh. <laughs> Yeah, so he's calling the front being like, keep driving, otherwise this helicopter is going to crash into us. And wait, they're on a French train. Why is this operator British? Oh, they they have English operators of Eurostar. They do? Yeah. So while this is happening, John Voight unclips the helicopter. But uh uh-oh, a train is coming in the opposite track. So Tom Cruise has to grab the suction cup on top of the train and at the last second pull himself onto the roof. 
So John Voight manages to get on the helicopter, Jean Renault gets this evil look in his eye, and he tilts his rotors of the helicopter to try and slice Ethan's head off, and doesn't realize that the back is going too steep as well, hits it, and um, instantly crashes, explodes. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> I like to think that he's done this a lot, and he has a little button in there to activate, and that's why you get the sound effect of a circular saw running. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyways, yeah, so he messes up, and while he's trying to get the helicopter under control, Tom Cruise jumps onto the other runner and pulls out another stick of explodey gum. Uh, where did he get it? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, he just has it. It is to the theme music. You do not give a shit. Nope. Exactly. He shouts red light, green light. As if that's supposed to mean something to John Voight, who was not there when Emilio Estevez <laughs> said that. <laughs> And so, yeah, he squishes it together, slaps it onto the cockpit window, and he jumps just as it exploded. The explosion propels him straight into the train. Yes, Chekhov's propulsion has returned. Yes. Instead of incinerating him instantly. <laughs> yeah, or his internal organs being ruptured beyond repair due to the shock wave of the explosion. Nope, he lives. There was no immediate window for him to fly through. And he recognized from back in the restaurant that if you are directly in front of the expl the little explosive charge, you will get propelled with great force. Ah, yes, he was paying attention. Physics can go fuck itself, but the film's logic is consistent. Fair enough. And for some reason, the train starts to stop. Yes! Explosion caused an EMP. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, this fireball of a helicopter is still going towards the train as it's slowing down. Obviously, John Voight and John Renault are dead at this point. The train comes to a stop just as the helicopter stops, but the what remains of the rotor blades are still spinning. And one of them is very, very sharp and stops right at Tom Cruise's neck. That's a beautiful finish. It's a cherry, cherry on the cupcake right there. Yeah, it's a great shot. It's great. So the train operator pops up again, takes a look at what happened, immediately fades. And he looks like Wallace from Wallace and Gromit, right? This train operator, he looks a bit like a Wallace. Bit. Yeah, yeah. He, he could use some Wensleydale. <laughs> or any cheese. Cheese, Gromit. So inside the train, Ving Rames has led Kitty to Max and he's gives him the knock list. And Max says, look, my lawyer's going to have a field day with this. And Kitty's like, yeah, that's if your lawyers can fucking find you first. How about we keep the courts out of this? Hmm? Casual human's rights violation is casual. Insanely casual. Yeah, but she sees this as an opportunity for negotiation. She's like, yeah, I'm surely there must be something I have that you need. She's just flirting with everyone in this movie. Yeah, Vanessa Redgrave really needs to get some, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> So Tom Cruise and Big Rames are now at a pub. They're back in England. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. apparently Tom Cruise's mom and uncle have been released. You know, lots of apologies and compensation from the government. And Ving Rames is off the disavowed list. Good for him. Ving Rames saying cheers with a pint glass is my everything. And I think we have to put it on our English money now. I want Ving Rames cheersing me with a pint. I agreed. There is something right about that image in my head i think it's the turtleneck i'm telling you it is the turtleneck <laughs> my favorite turtleneck so vigram's like hey tom cruise why don't you come back and tom cruise is like yeah i wouldn't know why i'd be doing the job you know so look i got a plane to catch see you later 
Yes, we now have the sequel tease brought to you by British Airways. Yes. And so the same air hostess from earlier is going around handing out movies. And hey, Tom Cruise, maybe you'd like to watch a movie. Nah, I'm good. Maybe you'd be interested in the cinema of the Caribbean, Aruba, perhaps? Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is take a goddamn vacation for once in your life. (laughs) Uh, Then we get the theme song. And that was Mission Impossible. But before we go, as millennials, we know that every movie and TV show has a moral. So, Jules, what did you learn today? Oh, that explosions work like an invisible bouncy castle. (laughs) They do. They really do. And, John, how about you? I learned that a serial killer's calling card could also be the murder weapon. (laughs) Madness. Who'd have thunk? And I learned that I can't trust that you two aren't randos pretending to be John and Jules in masks. I just don't know. I just don't know. And you never will. God, that's the worst part about it. And before we go, we need to tell you what we're doing next time. So, John, what do the folks at home have to look forward to? Oh, we're finally just sticking on American soil and swinging around New York for Sam Raimi's first outing with Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. And you got a review for us? I do indeed. I have a very brief review from the Charlotte Observer. Not the Daily Bugle? No, no. But it may as well be. I'll sum up my reaction in a word. Yawn. (laughs) short and sweet and that's our show if you liked it please subscribe if you loved it please share it with all your friends and whether you liked it or loved it we'd appreciate it if you give us a five star rating on apple Podcasts wherever you can to help others find us also be sure to like our facebook page and follow us on twitter and instagram links to all of that are in the show notes thanks for listening and we'll see you next time for another episode of millennial rewind